This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's Nutrisource Pet Foods, Onyx Hunt, North Dakota Tourism, Aluma Trailers, and Federal Ammunition. Today, we're sitting in a farmhouse in northern Iowa on the first leg of a three-day road trip with Pheasants Forever and the winners of this year's Dream Hunt. It's the first snowfall of the year, and the birds are holding real tight. We'll explain what we're seeing in the field, how we got here, and what you can expect if you want to hunt roosters in Iowa. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. Brandon Morton is our producer, and he is nowhere to be found once again because I'm on the road, which has been normal lately, and it's after 8 p.m. my time. I'm sitting in a farmhouse here surrounded by some pheasant hunters. To my left, Jared Wickland from Pheasants Forever. Josh, Devon or Devon? Divin. Josh Divin. Straight across from me. <laughs> and to my right, a gentleman that came all the way up from Texas, the big state of Texas. Jim, what in the world are you doing up here right now, sir? I'm hunting pheasants with my bird dogs. <laughs> That's what I'm doing with a great group of guys. Yeah. And there's plenty of birds. We were, uh, we were watching you on that last walk coming in tonight. A little <laughs> slow, was I? You were you were <laughs> lagging back there, not going to lie. You were lagging back there, but your dog was clearly up to something. I and was all working sudden, slow so the dog could work and find the birds. Yeah. It wasn't me lagging. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then here comes this giant tail of a bird out of the grass right in front of you. And we, we were looking, Josh. Was that you standing by me, or was it Jared? No, I was to the right of Jim at that point, I think. No, the one at the, when we were at the bottom of the hill on the corner, we had pretty much walked out, and you go, that's a good dog, that's a good dog. <laughs> and we're like, why didn't he shoot at that one? You remember that? <laughs> no, it was the uh, hen. I think Jim thought it was a hen. I think Travis and I both were fairly certain that it was a rooster. If that was a hen... Good for her because I have never seen a tail she, that she's long. Ma- on she's, a make, hen. she's making it through the winter. She's pretty plump. <laughs> she was good. She was pretty plump. Oh my goodness, Jim! I uh, hand the mic back over there. Jim, how do you pronounce your last name? Danahe. Danahe. Okay, you are here because you bid on this year's Pheasants Forever auction. I'm going to take a step back. Three years ago, during COVID, all the Pheasants Forever banquets were canceled, and we thought, how can we help to continue to raise money? to put more habitat back on the ground. So we thought, well, what if we did, we auctioned off a hunt that we would film with the Flush TV show. We, uh, Bob St. Pierre and I were talking about this idea. Jared, maybe you were a part of it at the time too. I'm yep, not entirely bit. sure. Yeah, and we bit. thought, okay, the idea started, let's just try it. We'll go hunt with different uh, Pheasants Forever reps in South Dakota on different properties that they pick. And it'll be a, it'll be a late season road trip. And so we thought, I'm in. Yeah, let's do it. And we threw the auction up and it was a success. The hunt was amazing. Um, and then next year we thought, want to try it again? Ah, sure, let's do it. And we went to North Dakota and the uh, Hunter Schwinn and his family were the, the winners the first two years. They did not win out on the bid this year, Jim. You were the big winner Jimbo. on this one, Jim. And we're in Iowa right now celebrating your 
contribution to Pheasants Forever. We're filming a television show. Um, and it might be the best day of the season to hunt in Iowa this year because the snow, the first snow of the year, there's three days that you have to hunt. Opening day, the day the crops come out around your field, and the first snowfall. And so you didn't know that we were going to time it this well, Jim, but we timed it pretty well. Why did you want to bid on this hunt to be here? Well, the key was Pheasants Forever, the flush, conservation, and using my own dogs. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have, if I couldn't bring my own dogs, I'm out. Okay, I mean that's that's where I'm at. Yeah. So, and they did fine. They didn't embarrass me too bad today. No, and you've you've got beautiful. Talk about your dogs a little bit, and sort of uh, there's there's a rare, rarity there. There's not mm-hmm. there's not many of the breed um, in the United States. Maybe talk a little bit about uh, how many dogs you got and what they are they uh they call them the original german shorthairs okay uh they're registered in germany and the uh the the litters the the stud dogs and the female have to be vetted and approved for breeding by german judges what that helps is you're going to get usually a highly trainable dog that wants to hunt you know, and then the rest is up to you. Are they better than short hairs? Not necessarily. You know, if somebody does a good job selecting a male and selecting a female, but what happens with the AKC is you got one, I got one, let's make puppies and have some fun. And that's not allowed in the German system. So, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, the, the breed that your dogs are? Are Deutsch Kurzars, okay. which stands for German Shorthair, does not stand for German Shorthair Pointer, okay, which is the American version. So appearance-wise, I mean, they're they're a little taller, but I've seen GSPs the same size and build. Last night when I walked in, I go, Are "These all GSPs," and you go, "No." And you corrected me, and I know a couple of other DKs. Uh, owners that are very passionate about this dog breed, um, and you were very excited to tell me about them. Explain how this dog, like their what what their ticks are, or how they hunt, their personalities. Well, the first thing is they're really really trainable. Um, I can I had labs for a long time, and I compare them to a Labrador Retriever in a short hair body because they love to be trained. Some of the short hairs I've owned, you know, they love to hunt, but they're not that trainable. Uh, uh, and they've got, I mean, they test them structurally, hips, elbows. I had to send blood work to Germany so that they could keep track of the DNA records. The stud dog had to be approved. And then when we got the litter born, the paperwork was all in German, which I needed a lot of help with. Uh, but all the descriptions of the puppies had to be sent to Germany, and they sent me back microchips to put in each puppy. They all had to be pre-named before. The microchips had to be put in, and they had to be named before I could sell them. So, And we sold puppies all over. The, the one litter of 10, they ended up in New York, Wisconsin, Illinois, Missouri, and Alabama. And then the rest were in Texas. Um, how do they hunt? What's their hunt style, if you had to explain to somebody that hasn't seen them? 
they are more cooperative. They work a little bit slower and closer. And for me, having chased pheasants my whole life, that is right where I want them to be. Slower and closer. Well, I wouldn't. I, I think there's some personalities, though, now that because there were four of them out in the field today. They didn't all work slower and closer. One of them was keeping up with my little missile out there running around, yeah. too. Well, and they, and they do. I mean, there's a variety. I mean, they're all a little bit different, just like kids. <laughs> yeah, man, there's that. There's that. Uh, we are two, Josh, um, is this two weeks into the Iowa season now? Two and a half weeks, something like that? Yeah, two and a half, so it'd be the, the last Saturday in October here. Okay. Wait, no, that's when your season opened, the last Saturday in October. Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're yeah, in from that point. Yeah, so yeah. We're, this puts us in the two and a half point. Um, <clears throat> now being a couple weeks into the season, you could probably look out there and, and, and give this season a grade based on the first two weeks already. I mean, there's been a lot of hype for Iowa, a lot from uh, different places. This guy to my left is always <laughs> hype in Iowa. And then oh, he's yeah. also, he's also like, well, don't go there. It's not actually, there's probably nothing there either. At the same right. time. And then it's like a, a smirk and a wink, right? Right. You know, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's there's, terrible. There's nothing like, here. No, no. We, I mean, we came into this, into this pheasant season with, with a lot of, uh, you know, quiet excitement. Um, and the, the August roadside counts, confirmed that we could and should be excited about what we were about to experience for the opener. And, and, uh, yeah, if you, if you hunted the Iowa opener, um, as you drove around and looked at, at the, um, public hunting spots, uh, you could see pretty easily that there was a lot of people that were excited about the Iowa pheasant opener. And yeah, by all the accounts that we had, um, people had a lot of fun. There were, uh, birds flushing shots fired. There were a lot of fun tailgate pictures and mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was good. It was I, good. I know all my blue my blue plater buddies from Minnesota were excited about it because they were all parked down here at uh, a lot of the public Ooh, areas. Yeah. I saw a lot of Ooh, lot that's of a touchy subject. <laughs> touchy subject. Saw a lot of limits <laughs> taken that first weekend from um, just about everybody that was hunting. So I, I, yeah, it seemed like it went over pretty well, and I think what we saw today is is evidence of that. Right. Um, I think. You know, like if, if you live in the metro area of Minnesota, which a lot of hunters live in the metro area, to come to Iowa, it's closer than driving to South Dakota, actually. I mean, from like where we're at now, granted, we're on a three-day road trip. We're in north central Iowa, and we're going to start heading west, I think. Um, what parts of this state are you finding, now that the season's open, that hunting might be better than people anticipated, Josh? Ooh, that's a... That's a fun question. So GPS coordinates. People want GPS <laughs> coordinates. <laughs> I'm hearing on, from on our a, listeners. On pins, on GPS coordinates. Yes. Oh man, I think. I mean, the the short, easy answer for me is just going to be in areas of the state uh, where we have complexes of habitat. I mean, those are always the parts of the state that hold. You know, those are kind of our strongholds where we are less. You know, there's less impacted by uh, you know adverse weather and, and things of that nature, but. I mean, the strongholds of Iowa the last few years have always been the northwest part of the state, as reluctantly as I hate to say it, the north central part of the state. Um, mm-hmm. West central part of the state has been good. Um, you're chasing quail down in southwest, south central, it's pretty good. Um, yeah, I mean, it. the numbers kind of, what we've seen this year is that if you had good bird hunting last year, you probably had a, had a good to great season this year so far. Mm-hmm. And better I think, and better I think than last year, would you say, so oh, far? man. I, I might I might default to say that yeah. yeah I think uh 
I think that there was maybe a little bit of sentiment that some of the roadside counts, um, we were just really dry. We're still, a lot of the states kind of still suffering from the drought. So some of those roadside roadside counts happen in a little bit less than ideal dew conditions. Mm -hmm. So I think we might, there's a chance that we might've been under, um, under reporting, under reporting mm -hmm. that we weren't picking all of them up. And, and based on, you know, anecdotal, you know, kind of accounts that I've gotten and our team has gotten across the state is lots of, uh, smiling pictures, Facebook posts, uh, Snapchats. Yeah. I think guys are, I think, I think people are having fun out in the field. Absolutely. Jared, you and I mm -hmm. did a, a pheasant forecast episode maybe two months ago, something like that, yep. when we got the information out. Um, and what I've heard from a few hunters, uh, like when we were out in North Dakota, they actually figured or thought that maybe the numbers were a little underreported because a lot of hunters are seeing a late hatch addition that probably wasn't counted. And so the number of birds in the field are even higher than what the reports were saying in a few areas. Um, I'm not entirely... What, you're, what are you pointing? Sorry, the dog's digging through the garbage while we're trying to talk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should your, say anything. D, no, that's DKs good. are great dogs. DKs, <laughs> the personalities are just... I mean, you can't, you can't breed that just anywhere, Jim. So... So, to, to, <laughs> ah, it's got him in the kitchen. Uh, that's the best part about these the, places. Those dogs Drink. worked hard today. They were just looking yeah. for yeah, a little bit extra calories. Slurping up some steak juice that we Sharing. dropped in the garbage. Yeah. If you're going to, if you, that's not your fault. You should have finished <laughs> your steak, which, by the way, yeah. this. <laughs> uh, oh, you we, can't script that. That's fun. Yes. Uh, okay. So, we are in a farmhouse in north central Iowa right now. I, I think maybe we need to explain, like, how do we get here? And whose house are we in? You know, like, this guy is not here right now. And we are in this amazing farmhouse out here. And there's mounts on the wall. And there was, I don't know. Uh, Pete said it was a 20-point buck out in the field. We're up to 20 now. It's like a, it's like know, a good fishing bad. story. Yeah, it's <laughs> It in increases four antler sizes every hour. Oh, that's good. That's It'll good. be the 30-pointer by in, tomorrow. In, in no time flat. Uh, no, so we're, uh, you know, when I heard about this opportunity and, you know, um, this show is going to be filmed moving through Iowa and we had some folks that wanted to be experience, you know, kind of a unique hunting opportunity as it moved through Iowa. Uh, I quickly thought of, you know, the quality hunting lodge. And this is some landowners that I, I worked with previously as a farm bill biologist when working for PF and, and they did some really cool CRP, um, on the family farm. And it's just a really neat story about how they have maintained the property and, uh, you know, use it for family get togethers and, and hunting expeditions. And of course, you know, allow family and friends to come and, uh, they get a kick out of other people experiencing, uh, kind of rural Iowa and some of the hunting opportunities that that presents. So that's, that was, uh, you know, just a quick phone call to uh, Brian and told him about the idea and they're, they're fans of the flush. And it was, I think he said yes before I even got the question all the way. So <laughs> all cool. the way. it's so cool. I wish I, w I wish he was here to meet him. Oh, it, it's, it's too bad that, you know, the people that are listening to this can't, you know, didn't get any of the, the scenery that comes along with. Well, we're going to try to produce it. I mean, we did, we do try to capture the real, essence of what we're doing out there, the reality of it, and that wonderful feast we just had. It put me into food coma, Jared. Oh, yeah. You are quite the chef, man. Oh, thank My you. Goodness. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, 
after a, after a decent hunt like we had today, uh, I think decent. Jim's yeah, shrugging. It was a very good. Hunt. It was so a very good decent. hunt. It was a very good hunt with a lot of birds <laughs> flushing. Um, you know, pretty mesmerizing conditions with a little bit of light snow coming down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love watch. I love watching my dog Luna, who's just jet black, just covered in frost. You know, fr- color uh, frosty whisk whiskers at the end of the yep, day. The so, white yeah, face pretty, coming out. Pretty, Daisy came out of the out of the thick grass so many times where she would come back out and then stick her head out and it was just covered in something you know it was shake it up it was cool to see and uh you know through throughout this three-day experience and we can get into you know coming some of the other landowners that are, are hosting us throughout this event but you know being able to sit down at the table at the end of the day and mm-hmm. have a nice meal and share that camaraderie um i don't know that that that's you know, besides watching the dogs work and seeing the birds and seeing the wonderful habitat and meeting the landowners, having that experience itself and, and um, getting to meet our guests from Texas who are up here and, and just spend some time getting to know one another, mm-hmm. um, you know, just breaking bread, I think, is an important part of this this process. It's a part of the experience. And yep. I, I, I've interviewed hundreds of people probably now over the last several years, and everyone says the same thing. It's about the dogs. Yeah, I get it. It is about the dogs, but it's about the birds. It's about the friends. It's about breaking bread at the table. It's about all of the experiences. Because if it was just about the dogs, then you wouldn't have to make the shot. You know, there's a rush that comes with that explosion. And then you decipher, is that a rooster or is that a hen? And sometimes Jim doesn't decipher correctly, you know, (laughs) there is that. But that's all part of the experience. And you have to make the shot, you know. And like last night, Jared claimed... He has magic bullets. As soon as he started shooting these business, (laughs) he can't miss. Josh, you remember that? I do. How did that turn out for you, Jared, today? The end of the day was a real train wreck. (laughs) (laughs) The wheels fell off. (laughs) It was was good. It was good up to about about 4.09. And then at that point, that, that last rooster just straight away. He just laughed at me. And, just and that was not lost on, and on Jim. Jim was, Jim was excited to report that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he missed finally. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's about the experience. If it's just about the dogs, then you don't need to include the birds. You can go on a walk out in the field. It's about the whole experience. Jim, when you found out we were coming to Iowa, was it that you just wanted to come and be on a pheasant hunting road trip? Or did you specifically want to come hunt in Iowa? I specifically wanted to come where there were birds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there to were Iowa to, said, yeah. to Iowa. You know, <laughs> we've been hunting Kansas for a long time, and it's been real tough the last couple of years. And this opportunity came up. And I might add, last night Josh said, you know, there might be some Hungarian partridge in this field, and if and if I if somebody else gets one besides me, I've been trying for years <laughs> to get one of these things. I would really be upset. Well, guess what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the unicorn. I think Jared, the unicorn. That's what we called it in the field. <laughs> He's speechless. He doesn't want to talk into the mic right now. the The crossing shot you made on that, Jim, your first bird in Iowa. Uh, you mentioned something in the field um, when we found that bird after you dropped it with a beautiful fifty yardish shot, maybe. Um, when we found the bird and picked it up, I handed it to you. And I said, when's the last time you saw a Hungarian partridge or shot one? And you said, 
You think it was when you were 13 years old in Illinois. Is that right? That's correct. We had two coveys that were behind the elementary school that I used to walk through to go hunting uh, to chase pheasants, and there was a couple of coveys of uh, Hungarians. Now, I did shoot at them. I don't think I hit one. My father shot one, but I, I did not. So this is a first for me, too. So it's been just a couple of years then, you're saying? Well, yeah. Nine, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's do the math <laughs> Maybe 1965, maybe four. So. And you've shot a lot of pheasants in the meantime. So does that bird act, have any special meaning to you then holding that? Because Josh is over there ticked off. It wasn't him. I'm just as mad as Josh, maybe even more mad because that's my favorite bird. And yeah, he's been. We haven't he, gotten a Jared yet. On jo- it. Yeah, Josh. Josh, I could see. I could see him pout, pouting before I even got over to you yeah, guys to see what the it, bird looked like. But they had the chance the at it. The bird flew the whole lot, <laughs> and everybody knew. Yeah, well, remember, yes. remember I brought it up. Everybody's. A lot of people have seen the movie Dances with Wolves, right? Yeah. In the in the beginning, Kevin Costner gets on that horse. He's about to lose his leg, and he basically. Ri- rides the horse without any reins, putting his arms out, and, and all those guys are taking pot shots at him. That's exactly the same feeling that that uh, Hungarian partridge. partridge just went through yeah. because it got up in front of me, and I, I didn't know what it was right away because you're just not expecting to see a unicorn like that mm-hmm. in the middle of a field. And <laughs> yes. I just yelled, Han, it's a Han, and then boom, 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 all the way down the line, and then they finally got it. So and it was, I'm over it here awesome. with the camera, and I'm like, okay, so it just snowed, and now there's traffic here. What does that tell us? It yeah. means there's probably a pheasant here. And I, there's this boom, boom, boom. And I'm like, what's going on? And it flies past me. I don't even get a I, shot I th- off because I'm talking to the stupid camera. I thought he was gone. I th- I couldn't see that, over the You didn't hill. have any faith in Jim is what you're saying? Not not that. I, there were so many shots that rang out before <laughs> I mean, it came, he, before he, it he came down. He lost his faith like before it made it to Jim because I, as, as upset as I am that I didn't bag that bird, I had three like shots that you would want to take <laughs> at Hungarian partridge coming quartering towards yes. towards you. I had my opportunity. I'm just glad that it got ended up in a vest because it's just it was fun just to see yeah. that bird in hand on some CRP that I've been on for years and have never never flushed a single one. That was totally worth it. The flush, so fast it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control FlexWad technology and a mix of copper-plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. It's the calm before the Thanksgiving rush. Now is the time to get all of your Turkey Day essential shopping done at Walton's during their pre-Thanksgiving sale. From their 7 and 11 pound stuffers to the number 12 grinder and 600 pound scale, they are all deeply discounted. The number 22 grinder that John Tremblay and the Walton's team uses in all their videos, yep, it's $100 off. Must-have accessories such as suction cup feet, waterproof thermometers, and hog ring pliers have been marked down too. Take an amazing $100 off Walton's 50-pound mixer and get the heavy shopping out of the way right now before turkey season. If you order now through November 16th, Walton's guarantees that your purchases will arrive before Thanksgiving. So check out the pre-Thanksgiving sale today at waltons.com. 
The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt, seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. So the numbers of huns are up this year in Iowa, according to your reports, right? And what do you attribute that to? Oh, huns are, boy, you've got me, you've got me in an area that I have no expertise on. Perfect. Hun, hun, we got are, it where we want them, Jared. Huns are, huns are tricky. Um, you know, they they just utilize different habitats entirely than than, than pheasants, and that's why... You know, we pick them up on the, the August roadside counts, but hunters don't encounter them that often because they just, they're, they're in short. They don't target them either. Right. Right. Oh, cause it's, you know, like how much fun is it to, you know, they'd be like road hunting or hunting terraces or like, they like just short, thin cover and in the middle or like a picked, you know, mm-hmm. harvested field, like there's like eight strands of foxtail. Like why would there any... Why would there be a bird there? And that's where, yeah. you, that's where, you, that's where you'd see I'm amazed, too, that the numbers are going up because this is corn country. I mean, they're a small grain bird. They like that wheat. Yep. They like the the real small grains. That's why North Dakota and Montana are just, I mean, you drive miles and miles and miles. All you see is a wheat field sometimes, and there are a lot of Hungarian partridge out there. They're doing great. <clears throat> but to see them here, it's a little surprising, but also encouraging because I want more of them. <laughs> it was, it oh, was yeah. a unique experience. Yeah. yeah, I mean, just a little bit of a mystery is why they're, you know, kind of holding on in little pockets here and there. But they certainly aren't what they what, what they used to be. But it's just kind of a fun bird to know that you could potentially encounter. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll know what to do when the hun flies towards me <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm pheasant hunting. Well, uh, I'll use Jim as, my, Jim. Jim as my... Hey, hold on. Give the mic back to Jim. Jim. Explain to him how to shoot a Hungarian partridge flying right to left in front of you within, well within range. What's your secret? Shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't miss. Yeah. Don't miss. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't miss. So, he, was, he was too excited. That's <laughs> yeah. Lesson learned today is even though you have great shells, you know, the magic shells that uh, Jared has. That is correct. You still can miss, even though it says on, it should, well, last time we were joking, like, well, if you can't miss with them, it should say it on the box. You know, what a marketing, <laughs> ever since you started using them, you can't miss. And I was like, wait till the camera comes out. That's when the misses come and you'll be on national television missing. And it's- well, see, I was, very, that's why I was very careful not to make any statements like you did last oh, night. So I, sure. thought I, was, I thought it was safe. I was, we got to a point where we had talked about a whole bunch of stuff and the trip up here. And then it, it kind of. Kind of got to a kind of got to a silence point, so I just I just had had to break it somehow. Everybody <laughs> laughed, and that was good. It wasn't even gonna. It I wasn't, wasn't even gonna be that you were gonna make most of your shots. It was just like 
you yeah. were going to be missless. Mm. Yeah. Well, that, that's why I say it's more than just the dog. When people say, it's about the dog. You know, and I've heard everyone says the same thing. Yeah, I know. It's fun to watch them. But it's not just about the dog. It's about the whole experience. And part of it is this camp that we're in right now. And I just came out of a deer camp, you know. And the experiences there are just as awesome in their own unique ways. And we had a gentleman come over from the neighbor's camp. And we'll, we'll have a meal at our place on opening night every year. And so we always have people come over. And there's this... He's probably 82 year old and uh i'm not don't jump jim i'm not talking about your age anyway i, I think he said he was 82 and he's, i asked him about his wife or something and he's just very dry but funny sense of humor and very matter of fact about things i was like oh yeah married he's like yeah 50 some years and or whatever oh, however many years or something like that and then changed topics and then something about the marriage came back up and then he's like yeah i don't even i don't use google i just asked my wife <laughs> She's always right. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh. So a lot of wisdom comes out of these camps here. And uh, <clears throat> this is no different here. And that's the fun of it. And that's why, you know, I think about the statement that almost everyone, it's like cliche to me at this point. It's about the dogs. Yes, it's fun, but it's all of it. It's all of it. And today we got soaking wet in the snow and you couldn't avoid it no matter what you wore. The snow falling the snow on all the brush, the birds were, were dumb for a day. And it's the most magical day to hunt pheasants. Um, from here on out, what's your outlook that you uh, are excited about here, Josh? Ooh, like in, in regard to pheasant hunting specifically? Yeah, I mean, in, in this state, um, you know, this is, well, what is your title actually with Pheasants Forever? We didn't establish oh, sure. that. We were having too much fun right out of the gates with that. Yeah. Uh, I'm the state coordinator. With Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. How long have you been here in Iowa? How long have you had this title? Oh, a little over a year at this point, but I've been with PF for a uh, little over 13 years. How do you get the state coordinator job? Oh, you just hang on tight. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's a wild ride, huh? <laughs> I, I mean, my experience with PF is I've got, gotten the opportunity to, you know, basically live almost every role that there is within the state. So started as a farm bill biologist. Um, you know, working directly with private landowners and farmers, helping them meet their goals, utilizing conservation programs, did that for a long time, absolutely loved it. Um, and, you know, now I'm in a place where uh, work have a team of farm bill biologists and, you know, my goal every day is to make sure that they've got everything that they need to be successful and, and also to like, you know, we've got the opportunity to have 10. I want to have 15 and then 20 and then 25, you know. Because, yeah, I mean, the more... Uh, the more technical assistance we can have in a state like Iowa, the more opportunities we can have to like, you know, educate and provide technical assistance to get more habitat out there. Mm -hmm. Jared, this is kind of a homecoming for you. I know when we talk pheasants, you like, you get excited about it because you spent so much time down here. What was your role when you were down here? Um, I was, a, I was a regional rep, um, from 2000, early 2010 through just about 2015. So working with chapters uh, to do fundraising, sort of a customer service aspect, mm -hmm. uh, but also working on land acquisitions, raising funds for those. That was one of my, my favorite things to do, you know, giving back to public lands is, um, you know, the uh, partner like the Department of Natural Resources or Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation or somebody would come to us and say, hey, we've got a chance to get this property and we need to lock up lock up some uh, a down payment for it right now or we're not going to get it. Mm -hmm. Can you help us, you know, scrape together 
50,000, 60,000, whatever the number is. And we, you know, you go to the chapters and start fundraising those types of things. Um, that, uh, that was, a that was a love of my job and, um, really just hanging out with our, our chapter leaders in this state. How much do is it 101 chapters in Iowa still like right at a hundred, right at a hundred. And all of them are just great. I mean, we hunted hunted with one of them today. Uh, yeah. Who's on the Winnebago? Uh, Bruce uh, Bruce Hertzke. Uh, he's our former chairman of the board. Um, he's also been a big big part uh, of the Winnebago Hancock chapter of Pheasants Forever, which Josh is Josh is actually president of right now. Um, so yeah, it's just it's always nice to come back and see people um, that you I wouldn't say left. Um, you know, we did leave and move back up to the Twin Cities, uh, you know, to be with family and... and, and you the, and your wife. Yep, and yeah. those types of things when we started having kids. But um, I know Tom Carpenter, our editor, was down here the other day in Marshall, Tama County, and was doing a story with uh, their chapter folks down there, and they sent me a big picture from the table, like, hey, hi to Jared, you know, uh, I hope he's doing well. And we were texting back and forth for a while, and uh, we saw the shape, the Shabins last time yeah. when we were, was that 2018 or 2019? Oh, it would have been three years ago. Okay. I think three. So seeing them, you know, seeing, seeing Mr. Hertzke, um, uh, tomorrow we're going to a century farm, uh, with three brothers that are just very conservation minded, huge supporters of their local chapters. And we're all about helping us out, uh, you know, with, with, with this, with this fundraising item that we've been doing it. And mm -hmm. thanks to you guys at the flush for, for stepping up and continuing to do it. I think it's been a great partnership and creates a great show. Um, and then also on, uh, our third day here, we're going to be traveling to, um, uh, Plymouth County, um, Iowa, kind of Lamar's Iowa. And, uh, the chapter's got a, a, a big sort of sportsman's breakfast plan for us. And we're going to be able, we're going to, we're going to get to, oh, cool. to hang out with those guys and, and we're going to do dinner with them on Thursday night as well. And, um, you know, they're just jacked to have us, have us down and, and have a, a couple of passionate pheasant hunters and conservationists up from Texas and show them what good pheasant hunting looks like in, in the state of Iowa and, and what it can be. Um, you know, we always talk about the glory days in this state. Um, I wasn't around during that. Right. Um, Same. I'm, yeah. I'm thir 36 right now. I just, I wasn't around for the glory days. I've had some extremely, extremely good pheasant hunts on public and private lands in this state. And it really just, it all comes back to habitat. I mean, we, we walked some stuff today that was just absolutely gorgeous. And, mm -hmm. you know, producing those birds, a lot of people come down here and they don't see like w what it looks like in the spring. you right. And Bruce Hertzke, or like I said, our former chairman of our national board of directors was telling us like showing us pictures of all, all the purples and pinks and greens and, and blues and everything that comes with some of the pollinator habitat that he's got on these enrollments. And he's like, you know, that's, that's where it starts. You come down here and see sort of this gray landscape mixed with mixed with white now, um, with the snow, but you, you pull up to some of these places. Uh, I know Jim, like we pull up to that last, last spot today and we're like, there's going to be, there's gonna be a few birds yeah. in this spot. It's looking pretty birdie. And like you get in there and the dogs start picking up their pace a little bit and we're trying to keep up with them. And you know, you start seeing the tracks and all of a sudden. The first flush there was impressive. I mean, it they was. just kept on coming and coming. And we, we said beforehand, you shoot a bird, we stop because it's so thick in here that we don't want to just start shooting at more. So probably could have shot three, four more roosters just out of that first initial flush, but we shot two. Um, <clears throat> 
And you know, like you talk about some of this this habitat. You know, it's so funny. Bruce has a buddy riding with him today, and we get into that first piece, and a monster buck, huge monster buck, comes out and runs. And then the conversation that followed, we got back to the truck with his buddies. Like, you're holding out on me. Why didn't you tell me that was out here? And then Bruce is like, "Well, there's a nice little big four pointer over hanging out over there." (laughs) 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 You know the the quality of wildlife that this ground grows. And I've hunted in a lot of different habitat around the Midwest and around the country, but I think Iowa. You know, this west, northwest, north central, and then. Southwest Minnesota and then parts of South Dakota, but the the soil here grows amazing everything. And that's why obviously corn is such a big deal down here too. And that's but the grass, I mean, you can have some of the most lush fields in this state. And those lush fields grow a lot of birds oh, yeah. and this, big box. It's like the uh moment where you insert the field of dreams. Yes. You know. It's if you if you plant it. Yep. You know, they will come. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's so true of Iowa. Cause I mean that the fertility of our soil has shaped the way, you know, our state looks and it's, it's how we've been able to produce this abundant amount of food, f- fuel and fiber. But I mean, there's also, that's true on the habitat side of it. Like you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're talking about it's, it's, it's impressive. Um, I've always, even as a biologist, it's been impressive to me. Like when we put some of these new projects in place, how quickly, the wildlife find them and start to utilize them and then just, you know, blow up from those. There's areas. It doesn't even have I to be a big I think a great area. example would be when we went to the Shabins, there was this hillside and they had the terraces on it. That was farmed not many years two, previous. I think he said two or three years prior to us yep. walking it, there was nothing but corn on those hillsides and not a single bird on the property. And we probably flushed 150 of them on one little small... 40 acres that yep. we walked. And and that's just a prime example of the the power of habitat management and what it can do. And I give uh, I give a lot of props to um, our chapters who are helping keep that public lands base going. Uh, we're, we've been doing uh, quite a few land acquisitions here in the state of Iowa. If anybody's interested to see where those are, we've we've got a list of them on uh, written press releases for them. Um, some recent some really recent ones. And I also give a lot of props to Josh and and keeping our team rolling. Um, right now, we have just under as of September, there was just under one point seven million acres of uh, conservation reserve program farm bill programs uh, enrolled in the state of Iowa. In Iowa, and um, whether anybody you know some some people throw it aside a little bit, but CRP continues to be just sort of the and farm bill programs in general continue to be the catalyst or the the catalyst behind pheasant populations um and there's just a, a best fit line with that and the role of our team here in the state and josh can probably talk about more than i can is to help it's very productive for agriculture it can be very productive for wildlife and you know josh and his team their role is to find that sweet spot between production and agriculture and then in the places where that, you know, maybe not producing the best corn or not producing the best beans. And we can come in and, and help increase across an entire field 
um, what that landowner is making by installing uh, a conservation practice of some sort. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Hunting season is here, and North Dakota is one of my favorite places to spend a fall day. That's because North Dakota is a bird hunting paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day, and North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prairie pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. The habitat on the landscape looks great, and bird reports are strong throughout the state. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Plan a legendary bird hunt this fall in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. Okay, so two questions. Jim, I want you to be thinking about Today's hunt, in comparison to what you've experienced in all of your journeys around the country hunting, um, we're going to come to you in a minute. Think about that. Josh, when we were at dinner, we had a conversation, and you maybe don't want to talk about this, but it's reality, so I think we need (laughs) to talk about it. The CRP that's in the ground in Iowa right now is growing a lot of birds. A lot of these contracts are a 10- or 15-year contract of CRP. Those contracts went in during a time period when commodity prices were different. And you admitted, you were talking about this, saying that you're nervous about what what this state could look like in a couple of years when a lot of these uh, come up for renewal. What is going to happen? Will they keep it? Will that, bird, will that place that we hunted today be a cornfield in three years? Ooh. Yeah, that's... Yeah, like I mentioned earlier, that's the kind of stuff that keeps me up at night. But, I mean, in an agricultural state like Iowa, um, CRP is our 800-pound gorilla. You know, as I like to think about it in terms of a conservation program. But, yeah, I mean, that's what it a, – a, a strong, robust program like that is what it takes to keep conservation on the ground in a state like this. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, to Jared's 
to Jared's point, the beauty of CRP is that that program has evolved a lot since it first, you know, showed up in the eighties in, in that, in that farm bill. And, you know, it's at that point in time, it was, it, it came about to fix a couple of more basic needs. It's been recognized, you know, across that 30 plus years that that program uh, can and does deliver a lot more um, than just some soil erosion issues and, you know, commodity yeah. suppression. Uh, I mean, there's just this whole suite of stacked benefits that CRP can deliver. And what's neat about the evolution of that program is that, so the, the, the program has become tailored to uh, fix all these different identified problems. So Jared, you talked about, uh, you know, parts of the field where there's marginal, you know, marginal cropland. Um, and so like in a state like Iowa, we're fortunate to have a few different, um, you know, can, we have access to a lot of different continuous CRP programs, which are different. Than, like incentivizes differently, you it, mean? They, they target different things in the landscape. Different you know? resource needs. Yeah. So what I go back to is you don't have to convince me of the benefits of CRP. You don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to convince our listeners of this, the benefits of CRP. They know it. What we have to do is convince the person that owns the property the benefits of CRP. And that's the part that keeps you up at night. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things where, um, just because of the, because of the fertility of our soil, which has this amazing potential to grow, you know, a lot of things that we're us sitting around this table care about, which is, mm -hmm. you know, robust wildlife habitat. It also, you know, fortunately has the has the capacity to to grow amazing crops, which you know we we need. So it's the it's kind of the balance of those mm -hmm. finding a balance of those two things, and. You know, our team is constantly looking for uh, how to share opportunities for where some of those things could and should be, even on modern farms. You know, there's parts of the field that don't perform like other parts of the field. And those, in lots of cases, are perfect fits for programs like CRP. But programs like CRP need to have, you know, robust farm policy behind them. And that's something that, you know, every farm bill, we have to make sure that uh, everyone understands how important the farm bill is so that there's opportunities for voluntary conservation on, on public, uh, sorry, on private land. Jared, how would, what big would you chance coming, big chance coming up for that to, yeah. to, to try to make sure that we, we have what we need in a robust. What farm do, what do you and I and Jim and Josh sitting here tonight? Like, what do we, what say do we have in it? What can we do? Is there tangible things that you and I can do that anybody listening right now can do to influence Yep. That. So I think number one, like if, if you aren't a member of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, we have a we have a collective voice, right? We have a collective voice. We've got uh, three different staffers right now um, in in Washington D.C. that are on the hill all the time advocating for 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 wildlife, advocating for carbon sequestration. I have not been there yet, yeah. um, but we've got a lot of staff uh, that we we do flyouts. We bring. We bring landowners out. We bring advocates out that have enrolled in the program and they see the benefits, uh, not just the birds, but the carbon sequestration and the water quality and the pollinators. There's so many different aspects uh, to farm bill programs uh, just yeah, beyond a, a, a payment for a landowner. There's, there's, a, there's a ton of different things there for them. So that'd be number one. Number two is, number two is stepping up to the plate. Uh, we send out plenty of action alerts. Uh, you know, whether it's around the Farm Bill or the Great American Outdoors Act that, that we finally got passed. Um, 
the North American Grasslands Conservation Act is a big one right now. Uh, we got it introduced into the Senate here in late July. Um, and then they went, sort of went on recess and we're working on that again right now. So I, I, I think it's, it's making your voice or, you know, a lot of people will see an action alert and they'll say like, well, you know, my, my voice doesn't count. Um, when, when we set, when we get 30,000 messages <laughs> sent in a day, um, to, to officials, uh, you know, in Congress or, or maybe it's, maybe it's in the state legislature. Um, that's a big deal. And mm-hmm. it's, it, uh, it's, it's, what it's people don't a realize long is a lot of times 10 or 15 messages to somebody that is an elected official can go a long way. Yep. Sometimes it's a thousand, but sometimes they don't hear one way or the other. So they'd say, well, I guess there's not a lot. Nobody really cares about that. So if you care about it, you the up. least you can do is, is send a message. If you have the opportunity to yep. speak. Yep. Those, those would probably be the, the, the two the two biggest things that I see sort of off the bat, but really making your voice heard and stepping up to the plate. Like if you're, if you're watching a, you know, pheasants forever, quail forever, Facebook page or or Twitter account or whatever it might be. And you see like, Hey members, you need to speak up right now to, to try and get this important provision in the farm bill. That's, that's not, not us just like talking to you to mm-hmm. you know, not just well maybe what the heck if you feel like it no yeah, it's like these, it's important right the, now these are important things and if you're like for for jim who came up here with his dogs and and wants to see wants to see his dog uh dogs work on wild birds for the future you know gosh darn it that's that's what we need everybody to do we need everybody to speak up and harsher cuss words than gosh darn it too probably <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay jim back to you Golly gee whiz. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so you've hunted you told me all these great stories of your hunts you know really? the last couple of days you told me quite a few Uh-oh. you talked about growing up in illinois hunting there as a child and then you know, you live in Texas and you drive 600 miles to go hunt and you've hunted different places and you talk about Kansas. And, but today, what you experience out there in the field, I, I guess what I'm wondering is how, you know, like Jared mentioned, the good old days. I didn't grow up in the good old days hunting pheasants in the 50s, 60s, 70s when they were just like too many of them, you know, you couldn't get through them. They were so thick. But how does this hunt today compared to what you've experienced in your hunting career? Recently, uh, it's like opening day, a good opening day, mm-hmm. anywheres where there's birds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the habitat was great. The bird numbers were excellent. You know, this this whole, the whole problem or the whole conundrum is We've got to do more than talk about birds and hunting and dogs and give people, a, you know, an incentive. Like, what does it mean to me? What is it going to mean to my grandchildren? You know, clean water, clean air, clean this. I mean, these mm-hmm. are really important PowerPoint subjects right now, uh, and try to get that into the hands of John Doe that's in Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Chicago, Illinois, or wherever so that it becomes important to them, and then it will become important to the politicians. You know, so uh, so many. I've got sisters in Illinois, and they're kind of, you know, you're just a redneck from Texas that likes to shoot things, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and there was, you know, the I think one of the last Pheasants Forever banquets was in Chicago before the COVID thing. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I got the opportunity to take uh, – 
my sister and her husband through that. And it was like, oh, wow, this is, you know. What'd they think of that experience? You know, a little eye opening. It was eye opening, but they wouldn't admit it, you know, <laughs> because sure. there's, you know, they're so, you know, set in their ways, but it was eye opening. Uh, they have one of my puppies, and we had the dog there at the booth, and you know, but you know, they saw the butterflies and the pollinators and and things like that. And my wife, who's uh, anti everything, doesn't want to kill anything that breathes, likes butterflies. <laughs> so there you go. You know, so she doesn't uh, like you shooting pheasants and bringing them home. Not really. <laughs> Does she enjoy eating them? If I cook them. <laughs> Do you tell her that it's a pheasant or do you tell her it's chicken? No, I tell her it's a pheasant. Now, when we first got married, if it was not in a grocery store wrapper, she wouldn't let it in the kitchen. Okay? <laughs> but she was raised in the big city of Oak Park, Illinois, you know, which is sidewalk city. So you've seen a slow, some people progress really fast. They get one taste We've of it and they're like, We've been 40 years and it's not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can use the line that the gentleman from the deer camp gave. You know, I just asked my wife. She knows everything. <laughs> I don't need Google. Um so how, tell me then, I'm, I'm just really curious, how does the, you know, like I would say today was a normal Iowa pheasant hunt, right, Josh? I would say what we saw today wasn't the exception. I think it was, I mean, it's well manicured property, held, held birds. We didn't see thousands of them, but we had ample opportunity. We all had shots. We all got birds. I think it was a good representation is what I'm getting at of what Iowa has right now. Would you I say it's accurate? Yeah, I think I think that's 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 fair. You know, if, if you and it takes a little bit of scouting, of course, like you sure. know, drive around, identify the parts of the state that you know have have more you know public hab- habitat complexes. Um, a little bit of scouting. You know, if you know what you're looking for, you can identify um, you know good habitat. Mm-hmm. And then if you add you know three inches of fresh snow <laughs> right. on top. I think, yeah. I think you're golden. They were getting out within range. They weren't getting out a hundred yards ahead of us and they weren't running and it's a beautiful thing. And we'll take it for a day because those bastards are going to be running again in 24 hours. Yeah, it, and then right. The game is right back where the advantage to them. So that's why you get out there today. But, but Jim, I'm curious in other places that you've hunted, I mean, do you feel like we are in a, what we, what you experienced today is something that you, would be at the level of some of your greatest pheasant hunts. And maybe it was, maybe you've had some great hunts in South Dakota. I, I'm not sure. I've had some great hunts in Kansas when the bird populations were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is as good as or better than those. Okay. okay. Um, we had a 160-acre CRP around Anthony, Kansas, that we used, and it was like a little honey hole for pheasants, and it supported the population around the whole area. And unfortunately, that got turned into grazing land, and all of a sudden that whole area is, you know, there's still birds there, but they're not nearly what there was. Well, and it's interesting. We've talked about that too at dinner and how if you have a central location that's just kind of, well built and it holds wildlife and that changes all those little fingers off of the edge do not they're not nearly as good as they were when you had the the main piece so the one piece of property can make everything around it that much better um as far as public access josh in iowa are we seeing an increase in public access in this state ihap acres 
Yeah, I mean, I think a, a good case could be made that as we currently stand today, there's more there's more acres of public access than Iowa than we ever have had before. You know, that's that's a result of you know Jared talked about um, just the continual um, interest in in PF chapters and other organizations looking for acquisition opportunities. So we're adding on to some of these existing complexes or building, you know, frankly, building new ones where there's opportunities. Um, but in, in addition to that, you know, our, our uh, access program, the IHAP, Iowa Habitat and Access Program, is sitting at, man, I think 32,000 acres, which is the highest that that program has ever been at. And those are, everybody's used to the, you know, the iconic kind of green public hunting signs. But if you see any of those gold gold signs, and it's a beautiful sign, mm -hmm. um, you know, that you've just stumbled into an IHAP and the, the habitat on those, you know, properties is, is bar, bar none, you know, those are managed at a high level. They're manicured too. I mean, you guys are burning them, the, the, the blue stem on them. Now, Jared, and when you and I hunted them a few years ago, that was, it was impressive just how the quality, and obviously they're built for the, the birds, you know, but it gives the advantage to the birds is the way it should be. You know, they're going to win yeah. more times than not, but if they don't, then there was not going to be many left anyway. So it's all good. Um, let's wrap it up here because uh, that giant meal that you made is, is really kicking in. And, uh, and we've been up since like six o'clock. I, 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 I think the dog just grabbed the garbage off the, <laughs> the kitchen counter. Well, obviously I'm grateful to be a part of something like this. Jim, I'm, I'm grateful that you would put a bid down to support this and to, to drive up here in that cool van slash camper slash hunting rig that you guys have. Um, we'll try to do justice to it the next couple of days. Obviously, I know how today went. It went well. Spoiler alert for the TV show. We don't know how the next two days are going to go. We don't know if a dog is going to get attacked by a grizzly bear. Not likely, Jared, but you never know. Not likely here. Nope. But uh, we don't know how the next couple of days are going to go. I am looking forward to them. Um, any any thoughts as we uh, tuck ourselves in for the night here and, and get ready for another hunt tomorrow? I just, uh, I don't know, personally for me, I, I come back to Iowa every year and it, it just, uh, it's pretty astonishing to me that you go to some of these places and, uh, you know, just driving around today, there's, there's birds walking around everywhere on a white background. And, um, am I thrilled that, uh, winter has come this, this early to Iowa already? I, uh, not necessarily. It's great. It's great for the hunting aspect of it, but I, I always like to give the birds a, a little, little break from winter before it really gets into it, especially mm -hmm. I'd like to see later in December, but we might have some warmer weather to, to melt some of melt. that. But in two weeks, it could be brown again. You know, know. At, but you know, one of the things today is, you know, we, we went to, uh, we went to a, a local grill for, uh, lunch today and it's nice seeing hunters pulling in to those areas to hunt. We had uh, a couple different guys with dog boxes pulled in while, mm -hmm. while we were there and, um, I think, uh, that, that spark has been, been lit again, uh, especially in, in certain areas of the state where, for pheasants have made a return. Now, some people are going to say, see. yeah, great. Now there's more people where I want to go. I get that, but it's a good thing it, it, as a it, whole. It's yeah, a good it, thing. It fuel, it fuels the system of conservation and that's what we need. Mm -hmm. Uh, Josh, you said that Iowa was not a destination for a while. Do you feel like it's finally a destination again? I, yeah, I mean, I hope so. We last year we had a 
our best uh, number of roosters harvested in over a decade. This year is going to be the same story. Um, I, I, I mean, I certainly hope Iowa's back in the map. Um, albeit that comes with, you know, uh, some more pressure, but that's good because that means good good things for the state with, you know, increased license sales and the DNR does great things with those dollars. So is that where the IHAP money comes from? License dollars to put back into that program? Some of that comes through the habitat stamp uh, that's part of your license purchase also. Uh, and then a part of that is uh, through the VPA. Uh, I shouldn't use acronyms. <laughs> Voluntary yeah, yeah. public access. So the, sure, yeah, so. USDA uh, has a really cool program that supports states that um, you build out voluntary public access programs. And, and the Iowa DNR has – that is the name of their uh, – the Iowa Habitat and Access Program, and it's a great program. Well, we'll call her good right there. I'm proud of you, Jim, as he's dozing off, dreaming about the unicorn that he harvested <laughs> and everybody else had a chance at. Does he, does he know what the forecast is for Thursday? I don't know what it is. Yeah, I think it's 30, 30 mile an hour winds and about 25 well, degrees. Well, got to go, so. guys. Got to wrap this up. <laughs> We're going to call it good right now. And uh, I think tomorrow we'll wrap this shoot up. And uh, we got bowl. enough content. <laughs> we got enough. We'll be heading right back to Minnesota. We'll catch you then next week on another episode of the Flush Podcast.